Welcome back, Thatcher Effect listeners. It is championship week, and we're going to get you all prepped and ready for this week's episode. Has the early season jazz train stopped rolling? And Utah football is going to their fourth Pac-12 championship this weekend. Can they make a Rose Bowl repeat? And for our weekly draft segment, who are our starting five all-time Utah Ute quarterbacks? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, guys, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie takes away with some jazz talk. All right, let's get into it. Um, the Utah Jazz are 12-11 and 11 and 1-5 and since Mike Conley went down with an injury. Their November struggle has pushed them to ninth in the West, and their schedule will be brutal the next couple of weeks, playing lots of good playoff teams. They could be in for a rough December run and possibly out of the playoff picture by January, but is there hope for this Jazz team? I think I think there's hope either way. Maybe we get a lottery pick. Maybe we get a playoff spot. I, I'm liking where we're sitting right now. <laughs> and the number 12 Utes won in easy fashion over their claimed rival, the Colorado Buffaloes, the uh, rivalry in the Rockies, 63-21. to 21. Cam Rising won a comfortable 17 for 19, 234 yards and three touchdowns in that first half, while Jaquinta Jackson ran for 117 yards and three touchdowns to give the Utes the nice, comfortable win. So... They got a little help over the weekend, a win from the Bruins over Cal, a crazy comeback victory for Oregon State over Oregon, and a nail-biting dub for the Huskies in the Apple Cup gave the Utes the path back to the conference championship. So that's their fourth time coming back. Pretty stoked. So there's a lot of predictions right now for how this rematch against the number four Trojans is going to shape out. But of course, we're going to be sure to tell you our predictions right here on this episode. If you're not going to be able to make it down to Vegas, that game will be this Friday at 7 Mountain Time on Fox. But if you can, I've heard it's already sold out, but maybe see if you can get yourself a ticket down to Allegiant Stadium. Um, we also got some some big sports topics going on right now. How about U.S. soccer today, Richie? I, I know you were tuning into that game over Iran. What do you, what do you think about that one? Uh, dude, soccer is just hard to watch. Um <laughs> So Iran, Iran going into that game, they needed a tie, and they would come out of the group stage. So they were kind of loading the box against the U.S. and weren't allowing like a ton of attack. U.S. had a couple. I mean, they obviously had their goal in the first half, and then they had another one that was just barely offsides. Like it was seriously inches offsides, um, and they used it using that like tracker technology that they have. But it's just kind of hard to watch. The second half after that was pretty brutal. U.S. didn't really have any attacks on goal and then iran was just flopping all over the place i mean it was fun i'm stoked for the u.s getting to the knockout round after not being in the world cup last time um and we're the third youngest team out of all the teams in the world cup i think the program is is going up and up um it's gonna be fun to watch though so it's definitely worth keeping an eye on yeah they definitely are fun to watch that that second half was pretty brutal and especially as I mean, it kind of got exciting in the last few minutes as Iran obviously needed to get a goal in the last few minutes, and there were some some crazy things going down. But yeah, that was uh, soccer is sometimes hard to watch. I think it's just my love of uh, America or like patriotism that gets me through uh, these games. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, we got to do this, guys. You got this. Or it was also the snug uh, England England fans 
that just made me want to like at least tie him in that game. So that one was also pretty satisfying. I thought that one was a good game, but you do have a good point, Rich. Um, and uh, we also got some football news. So the Oregon offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, literally less than a day after their um, surprising loss to Oregon State, he has now become the new ASU football head coach. You have any thoughts about that? I think Kenny Dillingham's good. Like he definitely changed Oregon's program this year. I think like you can't just put it on Bonix, can't just put it on Dan Lanning. I think Kenny Dillingham has to be like a major factor why Oregon was a lot better this year than they were last year. So I'm kind of excited to see what he does with ASU. I think it's obviously a super struggling program right now, but I think that was a good hire by the Sun Devils. What do you think? Yeah, I think it was a good hire too. Kenny, I feel like he's a pro. Um, yeah, the Oregon offense has been really good this year. And definitely part of that is Bo Nix, but also I feel like they've just utilized Bo Nix in the right way. And I think Kenny has been a really big part of that. ASU has had like, I don't know, they've, they haven't had too many problems recruiting in the past. I think um, he's a guy that will help them recruit more four stars, five stars so that they can be competitive. I think overall it's good signing for ASU and hopefully we'll get them back to uh, competitive standing in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think I think the Pac-12 is better as a whole when ASU is competitive, especially like when there were divisions. I just think it was nice having, you know, UCLA was always kind of like that middle of the pack, but I feel like ASU was always competing and upsetting some of these top teams and at the top of the conference. So I'm excited to see what he does. He's like Will Hardy, he's a young guy. I think he's 32. So um, yeah, I think I'm liking this kind of young blood mentality coming into the the head coaching realm. Obviously, other than Hugh Freeze going to Auburn, I don't know if Auburn uh, did themselves any favors with that one. But <laughs> uh, Richie, what do you got? What do you got to tell us about something going on in the NBA right now? Oh man, I just I just want to talk about this tweet that I think was so funny from Kevin Durant. I realize a lot of people don't like Kevin Durant, and understandably so. The Golden State move may have been seen as super weak, and I don't know. I think he's an easy guy to maybe not like. But at the same time, I really do like him because he's kind of different than the rest of the guys in the NBA. He's really honest. So this guy tweets, the Nets team is amazing. They're going to win 55 games in the NBA championship. The slow start was a fluke. And then he says, I'd argue the Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks are one, maybe two major moves away from being on our level. Go Nets. This team is elite. KD is winning MVP. Ben, Kyrie, KD will all be all NBA. And then KD just responds, Nets got you in hell. You may need a break. This is going to break you, my brother. <laughs> and I just like, I love the authenticity. Like, I don't, I do think Kevin Durant is like trying to win. Like, he's playing really good. You've watched the Nets. He's playing really good. Kevin Durant's, I think, is a top five player in the NBA. Um, and he's been playing like it this season. But he does he trust his team? Does he believe in his team? I don't think so. And I just think that's really funny that he's kind of open about it. I think his Twitter presence has to be like, not only is he a top five NBA player, I think he has a top five Twitter account. I mean, like, oh, for yeah. the past like decade with all like the burner accounts and him just roasting people. I, I love it. I think it's hilarious. So, I mean, maybe it's not hilarious for Nets fans because, man, I think they're kind of caught up in uh, a lot of drama over there, a lot of beef, but it's fun for the rest of us. So <laughs> good looking out for that tweet. That's funny. All right, um, before we get going into Ute's topic, we always start with the jazz. So time to get jazzy. And, of course, this Utah Jazz segment is brought to you, like always, by DraftKings. So we're getting through the NBA season. It's heating up, and there are still a lot of unknowns. Uh, that guy maybe tweeted the Nets might be going all the way. Who knows? 
But if you're looking to get in on the action uh, in the NBA, bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. If you're a new customer, you can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game, and you get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can run up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. You go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, you place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, uh, total rebounds for the game, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with the code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game, and you can get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. All right, Richie, what are your jazz notes for us this week? All right, I think the overwhelming story about this jazz team right now is what has happened without Mike Conley. Uh, Mike Conley went down six games ago. Jazz are one and five, like I mentioned before. And it kind of feels like the sky is falling. I don't know. I think I think some of those games were very winnable. But it seems like this injury has had a ripple effect across the whole team. Um, and I feel like that's shown in their record. But I want to highlight some specific players that I feel like this injury has really affected. The first is Jordan Clarkson. I think Jordan Clarkson has been great this year. And he has shown that he's a better playmaker. But he has had to improve his playmaking a lot. And I think that's kind of took a toll on his ability to score. Um Mike Conley's really good at getting the ball to Jordan Clarkson and finding Jordan Clarkson in transition in all kinds of situations. And Jordan Clarkson hasn't been able to get his shot the last couple of games like he did while playing with Mike Conley. I also think part of that is he's had to bear a larger load um, with playmaking while Colin Sexton is in the starting lineup, which brings me to the next player that I feel like it's really affected. Uh, Colin Sexton, I think he is a really good NBA player however I don't think he is a point guard I feel like he would fit really well against like some of the point forwards like a LeBron or something because he is a guy that can go score and he has really high intensity but I also I don't think he's able to manage a team and that's something that he might be learning to do I think the Jazz are taking a bet on Colin Sexton that he might be able to lead a team and be the facilitator for 30 minutes a night um so far he hasn't really shown that he's able to do that he's made some costly mistakes um I think he's still he's still able to score he's always going to have that threat but he needs to become more of a playmaker and I think his time with Mike Conley will help him to become more of that but I just don't know what his ceiling as a playmaker is I don't know if he's going to be that guy that can get you seven eight assists a game um the third player, I feel like this really affects. I do want to say, I don't think this has affected Laurie Markinen's play at all. Laurie's been incredible, and he has just been shining under the bright lights every single game. I do feel like this has affected Kelly Olinick, though. I think Kelly Olinick really benefits from playing with a good point guard. And Kelly Olinick, he does a lot of good things. He's been a great three point shooter this year. But some of the places he struggles are on the defensive end, and he struggles at creating his own shot. Um, he did that a little bit against – I'm trying to remember who we played last night – against Chicago last night. Um, and he, he would drive a little bit. But I just think he's so much more valuable playing in the pick-and-roll or playing the pick-and-pop role with Mike Conley. And because he hasn't been able to do that as much lately, I think that's really taken a big toll on this Jazz team. 
Um, and lastly, I just want to highlight Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker is also a gamble by the Jazz. I mean, they didn't give up much to get him. In fact, they yeah, pretty d- didn't really give up anything. Um, and I think Taylor Horton Tucker has a high ceiling. Uh, he has the wingspan. He is only 22 years old and has been playing in the NBA for, it seems like six years. It's probably only like four. But um, he's played around some really talented, good players. And I think um, this backup point guard role that he's in right now as a backup playmaker is a really interesting opportunity for him to hopefully show that he's better. I think he surprised a lot of us um, with just his talent level. Like I feel like he hits a step back three every single game that you're just kind of like, really? Did he just do that? Um, but at the same time, he has really questionable decision-making and he hasn't really shown that he can manage an offense similar to Colin Sexton. Um, so that's kind of what I'm kind of worried about with this team without Mike Conley. Yeah, I think the biggest difference with Mike Conley being out is the lack of like peripheral vision from the people facilitating the offense. Uh, that's something that I think is a really underrated trait of Mike Conley. Um, he seems to know exactly where his players are, like you were talking about with Jordan Clarkson. He seems to find the guys who like to shoot the ball and who are good at shooting the ball in times of crisis when he's driving into the paint. Something uh, to go off of what you said, I think Colin Sexton can be a really good scorer um, when driving. Um, We've seen his speed. He's able to get into the paint quickly. Um, He's able to put in layups pretty fast. Uh, But again, I think his rush down into the paint causes for a lack of peripheral vision for his outside playmakers. And so um, obviously you can think of the Sixers, you can think of, um, you know, the Chicago game yesterday. You can think of a lot of different circumstances, but I just think Sexton has had instances where maybe he's been lacking at running this offense, kind of like you were mentioning. Um, I'm going to go on the opposite side of the floor, though, for my Jazz note this week. Um, I, I maybe a little bit to go off of what you were talking about with Kelly Olynyk, but I, I just think um, there's been such a lack of, um, I think, production. Um, offensively and and defensively uh, in in the paint. Um, Obviously we're trying to, we're working with Kelly Olenek, but you mentioned his struggles, his pros and his cons. I mean, yesterday, sure. He dropped, I think he had like the second highest uh, stat line of the night uh, for the jazz. Um, Let's see. What did he drop? Dropped 23 points, uh, four assists, four rebounds, um, shot 50% from three. He had a great night. Um, But, I again, I just think it's a spacing on defense that's caused for a lack of or it's caused for concern for fans. And kind of like we were talking about before, he thrives in the pick and roll. And obviously without Mike Conley or a, a valid point guard to kind of help him with that, um, those moves, I don't feel like he's that valuable on the floor. Um, it's been interesting to see that we've been getting some more um, minutes from um, Azabuki. Um And while I do think he still has a high ceiling, it does make me wonder... Um, are the Jazz considering with Kelly, to put Kelly Olenek on the chopping block um, and put him in some trade conversations? There was, I think there's reason to put Walker Kessler into the game more, obviously because they took him in a trade. They saw some potential in him. Kessler seems to be the center of the future, and so it seemed weird to me that we've been playing as a bookie a little bit more and taking Kessler out when I feel like he hasn't been terribly bad, but I think obviously giving him more minutes would give him you know, more experience and help him with his progress in the NBA. So I guess that kind of brings me to my second note as well. And a question for you, Rich, is what do you think about Kelly Olenek in terms of being considered in trade conversations for the Utah Jazz? Do you think that he would be a good piece to trade 
or do you think that they might keep him uh, moving forward towards the end of the season? Man, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't think the Jazz team has ever thought of Kelly Olenek as part of their long-term plans. And I feel like that's been pretty obvious from the get-go. I mean, he's on the older side. He's a vet. And sure, he's been playing great, but it never seem, has seemed like he's going to be part of this team's long-term plans. Um, I'm just kind of thinking, like, off the top of my head, I feel like there are possible trade suitors. The first one that came to my mind was the Suns. Um, the Suns have been playing great this year, and they just have Jay Crowder sitting at home. And Jay Crowder is, in my opinion, still a capable NBA player and could help a lot of teams, especially teams that are kind of in the playoff hunt and maybe need some dog. Um, and so I'm wondering if the Jazz would make, make like a three-team trade where they send Olenek to the Sun. Um, they, I don't know, get a first-round pick or something, and then uh, Jay Crowder goes to a new home. I think that's definitely a possibility and something to watch out for because I do think that Crowder situation isn't going to just get resolved. I think he's definitely going to be traded before the trade deadline. Um, I think there are probably a couple other suitors. I think Kelly Olenek is a valuable NBA player, and there are certain things that he does bring to the floor. I think he's a good playmaker for his size. I also think he's a really good shooter. And in an NBA that is so... Um, built on shooting and offense, I think he could help a lot of teams. I always, I do think he will be a defensive liability for a lot of teams, and you probably wouldn't want him to be your backup center in the playoffs. He might not even be in the playoff rotation for a couple of teams, but I do think there is value in getting him, and maybe as teams get injuries, as teams just try to fill in the holes, like, I don't know, the Miami Heat, who I realize Kelly Olenek has already played for, they're kind of another team that jumped into my mind. I wonder what they would be willing to pay for Kelly Olenek back on that team where they desperately need some offense. Um, but yeah, I think I think that situation is going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. If I was a betting man, I would bet that Kelly Olenek is off the jazz by the trade deadline and that Walker Kessler is basically solidified as the future starting center, at least for this season. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. I just think it's an interesting conversation because the way that we're seeing this center rotation right now and this point of the season for the Jazz has to bring up those conversations of what they're going to do with Kelly Olenek. Um, like you were saying, he's a fantastic three-point shooter. Uh, I'm actually really surprised at his statistics uh, as a big man. I just think, like you were saying, in today's NBA, that shooting is very valuable, and especially with his size and athleticism, his shooting has to be valued um, to a certain extent for these teams. So I think that that conversation will be interesting, but that's what I'm going to be looking forward to uh, throughout these next few games and throughout the extent of Mike Conley's absence is what are, what's going to be the rotation for these people down in the paint with Kessler, with Azubuki and with, and with Olenek. And maybe we'll see what the front office's plans are for these guys uh, going down to the future road. So Richie, give me your, give me your second jazz note for this week. We'll finish things off with you. All right, I think we should finish on an optimistic note. And this Jazz team has been so fascinating because I feel like there's so much going on. And it's been exciting that they've been winning games. But also it's kind of exciting that they're losing games in a draft class that I think is absolutely stacked. I don't know how much college ball you've been able to watch this year. But there are guys that are going to fall out of the lottery that could be future NBA stars. Um I, I've been looking at draft boards and this draft is just, it's really loaded. 
And so I'm kind of excited about that as a Jazz fan with three first round picks this year, because I do think you might be able to hit on one of those picks and gra- draft a really um, high caliber player. But as far as with the team, what's actually going on with the team outside of big picture, I think there are reasons to be optimistic. Um, this Jazz offense has proved that it is a sustainable offense with Mike Conley out of the picture as well. I know we talked about how he is very impactful and he does so much for the offense and being able to manage it. But the Jazz offense, their rating has stayed in the top five in the NBA. Um, And when it's this early in the season and you go six games and you stay in the top five, I think that's pretty significant because that's big enough sample size to show that it is pretty much sustainable. Um, The Jazz schedule has also been insanely hard. Uh, the amount of back-to-backs, the amount of road games they've had has been really tough. And I think it's going to cool down a little bit. Um, they do have a brutal start of December um, and end of November. They play the Clippers, Pacers, Blazers, Warriors, Timberwolves, Nuggets, Pelicans, Pelicans, Bucks, Cavs. Those are all playoff play-in teams um, maybe not the Timberwolves but the rest of those teams are pretty safely in their spot in the standings and you have a pretty good idea of what those teams are going to be able to do um, and so I think that is a rough schedule however the Jazz I don't know they've shown that they've been able to win big games um, against 500 teams they've been winning more games than they have been losing and so I think that's pretty big they've showed up for these games they can um, try to take some more off of these games and hopefully win, um, win some more down the stretch. I guess the overall point I want to make is this jazz team does have reason to be optimistic. Worst case scenario, this season goes South and you have three lottery picks because or two lottery picks, because I don't think the Timberwolves are in for a good couple of months. Uh, Carl Anthony towns is down for six weeks and they have just had struggles all across Rudy Gobert and Anthony Edwards have not meshed at all. I would have serious concerns about their chemistry if I were in the Timberwolves locker room. Um, They just do not play well together at all. And they don't play well off of each other either. Um, And I think that Timberwolves pick could possibly be better than the Jazz pick. And if that's the case, you're one of the Timberwolves picks. I would be extremely mad if I were a Timberwolves fan. I feel like Danny Ainge absolutely fleeced them. Um, So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And I think that's just one of many reasons to be optimistic about this jazz team and their future. I love it. The Danny Ainge fleece. What a quote. Um, yeah, I think uh, especially through this losing streak of the jazz, you have to be optimistic because again, the jazz haven't really been blown out. You And you look at the schedule they've been playing, like you've been mentioning going forward, it's still going to be tough. But I mean, looking back, they had a back to back with the Warriors and the Suns. And they didn't get blown out in either of those games. In fact, they only lost by one to the Suns. And I think it was only like nine or 11 to the Warriors. Like these guys are still putting up great games and they've got a lot of perseverance, fight, uh, resilience. They're fun to watch. And like you said, their numbers statistically have been staying steady throughout this losing streak. I think there's some players, especially through these first 20, so, you know, 23, 24 games that I think have proved valuable to the Jazz in terms of who they want to keep. One of the guys that's been sticking out to me in terms of offensive firepower that I would like to keep has to be Malik Beasley. He was a surprise for me, honestly. I knew he was a great player coming in from the Timberwolves, but his shooting percentage has been fantastic. At times, he goes through some struggles and some cold streaks, but man, when he's on, that guy's on. And 
I think you have to attribute a lot of our early wins to his shooting success from deep. We had a lot of times where when we were stagnant on offense and the ball just seems to, when it gets into his hands, he has that Jordan Clarkson-esque, just wants to shoot it type guy, and, and he's got it down. And I think there's, through this you know quarter of the season, we found maybe some of the players that this franchise wants to keep. And like you were saying, these trades that Danny Ainge has made are starting to look favorable going in either direction for the Jazz, which for Jazz fans, you should be happy about. Uh, I'm not really sad right now that the Jazz are still above 500. Like that's still incredible. They, I believe they had the hardest opening schedule through those first 22 games. They might still, I don't know if they have the hardest schedule overall, but the NBA did them no favors in terms of trying to get them an easy schedule because I think everyone assumed they wanted to tank and, the NBA just decided to give it to him, I guess. But the Jazz have proved to be resilient and try and fight through this really tough stretch. I'm excited to see what this home stand is going to look like. It'll be nice to see some home games for once. I feel like we got like one game at Vivint and then three games on the road. And sometimes that was kind of hard to watch. But it'll be interesting to see how they perform at home, again, without Mike Conley for these next few games. So interesting to see how the Jazz move on into the future. But... Of course, like we said, this is championship week, so we got to be talking about some use. Um, I don't know about you, Rich, but after that Oregon loss, I wasn't, uh, I maybe say I was like 5% positive that Utah was going to the championship. I was like, there's no way, you know? And then I remember getting into bed that night and I saw on Twitter, someone's like, well, they still have a path. And I was looking at it and I was like, oh, actually, this actually might not be that bad. Maybe Oregon State can pull it off. Maybe they can do it. I had some confidence. Uh, on Saturday, I'm watching the games, and as soon as Oregon goes up 17, it's kind of gone back into my head like, all right, we're going to the Holiday Bowl. We're going to you know the Alamo Bowl or something, maybe Vegas. And I'm like, all right, I'm fine. You know, it, we, I'm not, I shouldn't be complaining. We won nine games. It was great. And then the punter drops that ball at like the one-yard line, and I'm like, oh, okay, this might get interesting. And the more and more that I kept watching that game, I – I kept thinking of the scene from Avengers Endgame when Hawkeye was like, don't give me hope. And I was like, I swear, like these guys are probably <laughs> going to blow it in the last, like the last second. And I'm like, I got my hopes up and then they're going to get crushed again. And what's funny is I was, I work at BYU TV. So I'm working with all these BYU fans, right? There was actually a diehard USC fan who uh, of course was complaining about the refing uh, from the Utah game prior, but we'll see more of that this Friday for sure. Anyways, but everyone's cheering for Oregon. I'm like the one guy in 40 that's cheering for Oregon State. And that what a fun environment that was to see Oregon State just run over the Ducks and for me to keep my team's championship hopes alive. And then, of course, Michael Penix does what he does and literally just plays four verticals. I feel like every play and throws it deep. And, you know, they end up beating Cam Ward and the Washington State Cougars in a doozy of an, of an Apple Cup uh, up on the Palouse. So now the Utes are back in it. And starting off the bat, again, I was going to say I'm, I wasn't very confident. I was like, I'm just glad we're there. That's just such an accolade for Winningham to go to four conference championships. You could basically make a case that's four straight if you discount the COVID season because I don't think any football team really counts that season except for BYU. But that's such an accomplishment for Winningham, especially as a head coach, to make it to four straight conference championships, albeit his record is – one and two right now could potentially be one and three, but still what that's, that's really an accomplishment in this league. Richie, what are you looking forward to in this matchup uh, rematch? I guess you could say between the Utes and the Trojans in Vegas on Friday. 
Man, I think there's a lot to look for in this game. Um, but if you're not watching Caleb Williams, I don't think you're really watching the right things in this game because I think he has been outstanding this year. The guy's a true sophomore. Look, I I hate cheering for USC, and I hate cheering for any USC player, but Caleb Williams has game. Um, he's the front runner for the Heisman Award. I personally think he should win it. Um, I don't really think that any of the other guys are going to have too much of a shot. I mean, maybe CJ Stroud, maybe Bryce Young. I don't, there's been a lot of Drake may talk, but I just, I just think Caleb Williams has been better than all those guys. Um, I think he is going to be the guy to watch. I also think that it's just going to be a battle between him and Cam rising. Um, I don't know how much defense is going to play a factor into this game. I mean, of course it will. Um, there might be time for a crucial stop. Uh, and I just think, I don't know, I'm really excited to watch these two. I've been thinking about it, and I feel like we got a really good indication of what this battle is going to be like from their last game. Um, granted, the teams were a little bit different. Um, last time they played, USC was 6-1. and one. Um, Utah was 5-2. and two. And Caleb Williams had an incredible game. He threw for 381 yards and five touchdowns. Um you Cam Rising also had an incredible game. He threw for 415 yards, two touchdowns, ran for 60 yards and three touchdowns. So it was just like these guys are two very different players. They're on two different levels. Caleb um, Williams will probably be a first round draft pick, probably the first overall pick next year. Um, whereas Cam Rising might fall a little bit lower, but Cam Rising for what he lacks in talent, he makes up for in gamesmanship. Um, he's able to manage the game. It always seems like he's able to come up with a clutch play. And I just think that's going to be so crucial for this Utah team. If they want to come out alive, it's going to be riding on cam rising shoulders. Um, I think he's going to be the number one guy that's going to have to step up. And if Utah's not able to slow Caleb Williams down, then I think that could be Utah's demise. I, I agree with you. I think Caleb Williams is an essential lock for the Heisman. There were some players who I think were, should should have been considered and i like you talk about drake may and uh bryce young cj stroud obviously he was my pick a uh, preseason pick for the heisman but caleb williams stats are absolutely insane and obviously when you're playing for a brand like usc you have to get recognized for what you're doing and i think caleb williams is going to win it something interesting that kyle whittingham said in his monday presser was he loves that Caleb Williams is already picked as the lock for the Heisman and that USC is going to the playoff because he loves that Utah's in that underdog position. Once again, he loves it. And I think it's, it's awesome to be in that underdog role. I don't think Utah has really thrived when they've been favored in big time games. I look at this season, for example, uh, Florida, and uh, maybe you could say that Utah, I think Utah was favored in that Oregon game before, but when they're the underdog, it just seems like things seem to go their way. So I'm excited to see what happens and see what kind of mentality Cam Rising comes with. That's a really good thing to watch out for. And I think if you're looking for a quarterback battle, maybe besides, I mean, you'll have Stetson Bennett against Jalen Daniels, but I think the Pac-12 might have the best quarterback matchup in terms of a conference championship. So that'll be something to look out for on Friday night. Mine kind of goes along with yours. Um I think the defense was absolutely absent in the first half of the USC game, as well as in the first half of the season. Uh, it just seemed like the defense didn't really do anything at, at all in crucial games. 
but it feels like they've really played their role and found out who they who they are since the second half of that USC game. Sure that USC still scored touchdowns again it's Caleb Williams, but they made some crucial stops. And then in the games after that, it just seemed like they seemed to control what the offense was doing. I think the only exception would be the first half versus Oregon. But again, once they found out what the scheme was for that offense, the second half, Bonex was completely shut down and they were able to give multiple opportunities to the Utah offense who just wasn't able to get it done. This is going to be something that I think has to happen. I think the defensive ends have to really step up in this game. Van Fillinger is down for the season, so it's up to Gabe Reed, Jonah Ellis, and others to kind of put that pressure on Williams. Uh, I also think the rise of what we talked about in our last episode with Simote Peppa, the defensive line really has to make their presence known. Williams is always going to get his done. He's always going to get his money at the end of the day. You know he's going to still have a good stat line, but you can make it harder for him. I think that's all I'm really looking for from this Utah defense is just to make it harder. Uh, you've seen at times when Williams has played certain Pac-12 teams, it seems like he's playing in a seven-on-seven, seven and that man has all day to pass around, and he always gets things done. So that's what I'm saying is he'll still be able to have a great day. I have no doubt about that. I think the USC offense will still have a very solid day on Friday. But can you cause enough pressure and maybe make one or two big plays that can switch the tide because the offense needs to show up, but the defense really has to just create just enough pressure to put Williams off, uh, off his game for just maybe one or two snaps. And I think that'll be the difference come Friday. Um, Richie, for you, what's, what's kind of your big question going into this game? Uh, you said to look out for cam, look out for Caleb, but what's kind of your big question going into the championship game? I really want to know who's going to step up for this Utah team. Um, I think we saw who stepped up in last time these two teams faced off. It was Cam and it was Kincaid. Um, Dalton was incredible that game. One of the best tight end performances. Definitely the best I've ever seen with my own eyes. He was just everywhere. And I guarantee you that those USC defensive backs have had nightmares about Dalton Kincaid since that game. They are scared of him. Um, he was a monster that game. Also, I just I just want to take a second. The fact that Dalton Kincaid isn't a finalist for any award is ridiculous. He has been the best tight end in college football this year. The stats back it up. Um, but that's just that's just an aside. Um, I do think he will be a little bit harder to target for Cam this game. I think he'll definitely make some plays. He always does. Um, he'll get open and he'll stay ready for when he does get open. But I do think um, USC is going to make him definitely a priority to stop last game. It didn't seem like our run game ever really um, last game against USC. It didn't seem like our run game ever really came through Uh, watching Colorado. Granted it's Colorado. I think we saw who might be the running back of the future. He had three touchdowns and a couple of them were just incredible. And I think that's Jaquindon Jackson. I think he's going to have opportunities to make plays this game. And I think Utah is going to need him to make some plays. Um, Talking about Jaquindon, I mean, we talked about this last year. We talked about this when he was the backup quarterback. We've always known that he's had speed. But I have been so surprised by how strong he is. It feels like he'll get through the gap, which also he's been amazing at reading the gaps and reading the O-line and what they're doing. I've been really impressed by that for a guy that's like running his first reps as running back. I think it's really impressive. But um, he's been really really strong and like he'll hit the first guy 
he'll hit the first defender and then it seems like he gets another five yards or 10 yards automatically. Um, I think he's going to have opportunities to step up um, against Oregon. He didn't get a ton of snaps. I think he ran three times maybe, but each was for like seven or eight yards. He was great when he was running. Um, I, I don't think Utah's going to be run first this game against USC. I think we're going to be a little bit more of a pass first offense. Um, but I do think he's going to be a guy that will have opportunities to step up. Overall, I think a lot of players will have opportunities to step up. But more than anything, I think it's going to be Cam Rising that's going to have to um, take the um, load on his shoulders and, and honestly just carry the team to victory. I absolutely agree. And to go off your first point, I thought it was crazy that Kincaid wasn't involved in the Bolitnikoff finalist, but then when they came out with the Mackey finalist today, that is absolutely insane that he was not part of the, that group. Kincaid has had a fantastic year. He has to be one of the first tight ends to go off the draft board this next year. And especially the catch that got him a little dinged up at Colorado. That was insane at the end of the first half. That was wild. Um, but that kind of goes into my note for this game because I think USC learning from their last experience, you can't let Kincaid go for over 200 yards and 16 for 16 um, in this game. Like you just can't. And so they can't try to double again. I mean, I don't think Kincaid's going to be completely eliminated from this game, but they're going to do things to limit him on offense. So that means someone else has to step up. And in terms of your prediction where you think it's going to be more pass heavy, I agree. That means a wide receiver has to step up or another tight end has to step up. I've liked what I've seen from Thomas Yasmin over these past few games, being able to maybe find his role a little bit more. But I think this really comes down to who can be the wide receiver or the go-to guy on the outside for the Utes. You have a really good cornerback for USC in a Blackman who has a really high grade on PFF. Um, he's going to be hard to go against. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be um, matched up with Devon Vele. So I'm going to be looking to some guys who have some speed and use the edge to their advantage. I feel like we talk about these guys every week, but I think Money Parks and Jalen Dixon have to be the key to this game. Uh, we saw it in the Colorado game. It's kind of crazy that Cam Rising overthrew Jalen Dixon on a deep route because I feel like Jalen Dixon is faster than any football that any man could throw after him. But I think he has to be him and Money Parks have to control the edge um, when they're on offense uh, come Friday. There's going to be times I think there's going to be a lot of times when the inside is going to be so locked up because, again, Utah likes to say they establish the run. So they're going to obviously try and get some run plays going. You're going to try and get it through Dalton Kincaid, who's going to be in the slot routes. So you got to do something on the outside because I think it's going to open up for Utah. And obviously where you have the advantage is going to be with speed. I just think that those two guys have to step up and make plays, and I think Cam has to find a way to get him the ball. We found that they're able to get past guys. Again, they're sneaky fast. I think it's just up to Cam to throw a really good deep ball and to make this a game. I think that's kind of what separates other quarterbacks from Cam Rising. Cam is really good in short yardage situations. He's been really good at making those quick slant route throws, those screen throws. I still haven't really seen or... I can't say I'm really confident in what he is like in the post going deep or, or doing a, you know, a streak route. I, I just think I haven't really seen Cam Rising make a throw like that that has made me confident in his abilities to do so. That has to be key on Friday. And I think he has to do something like that and make maybe one or two of those plays 
to make a difference and to set up this Utah offense for success going down the road. So we used to do this uh, back before, but I think I want to bring it back real quick before we move on. Do you have a score prediction for this game? Man, I knew this was coming. <laughs> uh, and I, I hate to be the pessimist. I'm not confident that Utah is going to come out with a win. I think a lot of things are going to have to go right, and I think it's going to start with their mentality. And I don't know. They have reason to be mad. Uh, the last big game they played was Oregon, and they absolutely fumbled that game. They they should have won, um, which kind of gives you reason to believe that they could win just because, like, you know, regression to the mean. Um Ultimately, I do think USC is going to come out on top, and I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. My prediction is it's also going to be a close game. I think it's going to end up 37-35. 38-35, excuse me. 38-35. I like it. That's that's a good one. I like that score. I kind of went with something similar. I think it's going to be 35-31 to for USC. Don't know why I kind of threw in a, a field goal there for Utah, but you know maybe we'll get surprised like we did that last year's championship, and someone can maybe make one. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'm telling I think, you, I think the only way it happens that we get a field goal is first drive, and it's got to be from like the five. That's the only way. We're oh, for sure. Field goal. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, I think Friday is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be an exciting game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way by any means. Um, but I'm excited to see how that shapes out. So make sure to tune in on Friday, 7 Mountain Time on Fox, or you can head down to Vegas at Allegiant Stadium and check out the Utes in person. All right, we're going to finish like we always do with some running Utes basketball. Running Utes had a little bit of a, a, a tough stretch. Obviously, they, they lost to Sam Houston at home in the Fort Myers tip-off campus game. They go there, they're able to beat Georgia Tech, and then they lose to Mississippi State in a very close and physical game in that championship game. Then they come home. They're able to beat St. Thomas pretty handedly. Um, but obviously, we're going to have our thoughts and our takes on what this running news team looks like heading into a really big matchup on Thursday against number four, Arizona, coming to the Huntsman Center. Richie, what have you noticed um, over these past few games with the running news in terms of uh, what you like, what you don't like, and what you're looking forward to uh, come Thursday? Well, I'm I'm kind of excited about this Utah team. Um And I think there's two ways you can look at their losses. So let's say that they were predicted to be like maybe a tournament team or kind of right on the edge, which they're not. Um, I think you would look at those losses as really bad as those are the ones that are going to keep Utah out. Um, However, from a program development standpoint, I think looking at playing, honestly, that Sam Houston team was pretty good. Um, Having that win against Georgia Tech was big. And that Mississippi State team is not bad at all. I mean, those are three three good games you played against quality opponents. And sure, you came under on two of them, but you're also really learning a lot about your team before Pac-12 play, which I think is really important. Because realistically, if Utah is going to make it into the, Pac-12, or into the NCAA tournament, it's going to be through the Pac-12, and it's going to be probably in the Pac-12 tournament, and they're going to have to go on a run. Um, I think that's kind of the only way that this Utah team is going to be able to reach that. And I realize that's a really high goal considering where this program is, but I just think that's like the only possibility. Um, I'm pretty worried about the turnover situation 
with this Utah team. I know, I know you wanted to highlight that a little bit. Um, I think that's, it's been pretty, pretty bad. Um, and what's really worried me about it more than anything is that it's been coming from the veteran guys. Um, so I'm looking at ESPN. Carlson's averaging two turnovers. Gabe Madsen's averaging two turnovers. Wooster's averaging two turnovers. Wilgins exact, who isn't, who is one of the freshmen, is averaging one, one and a half. You're just turning the ball over so much. And I feel like so many of them have been um, kind of unnecessary. I think it's one thing for your underclassmen, for your freshmen to be turning the ball over like they have. Um, it's another thing when your upperclassmen, the guys that have experience in the program, that have experience with the offense and have had a whole year where they struggled with this exact thing. I think it's a complete other thing um, as far as something to be worried about if those are the guys turning the ball over. I really feel like we need to see more out of Wooster and as a ball handler. And I also think Saunders has to do a better job coming off the bench and being able to facilitate and not force anything, not put guys in tough positions. I think both of them could improve on that. I think ultimately that's what's leading to turnovers is just guys being in tough positions and not having um, the kind of guy to be able to facilitate an offense and be able to keep the ball moving and um, not forking too hard. So that's something that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on as we head into Pac-12 play is how we're able to fight the turnover battle um, because I do think teams are going to ch- keep on trying to exploit that. They're going to keep on trying to um, turn the ball over whenever anybody on our team has it because, quite frankly, we haven't seen anybody that's not turning the ball over. Yeah, I think that turnover margin has to be the difference, and especially the games that the Utes have lost. But even in those close games, I mean, even look at the Georgia Tech one where they had, I think it was around 20 turnovers. And without those, like, it would have been a comfortable win, but because they caused so many, Georgia Tech had on, you know, double-digit amount of points off of those turnovers, which made it a close game down the stretch. And uh, another thing that I've really liked about this Utah team is their physicality, especially on defense. Uh, I think that Mississippi State game should also really stick out to Utah fans in terms of what they should like out of this Utah defense. Um, I just think they're they're really good and assignment sound and really physical down low. Something I think they may be missing at times, maybe some rebounds. Um, I think those have also been critical. You can look to their last game against St. Thomas. I think St. Thomas had like nine offensive rebounds in the first half. And you just can't have games like that where someone else is controlling the boards, especially when they're on offense. Um, But something to go off of the offensive side of the ball for Utah is I think their shooting has been questionable at times. I think especially shot selection. And I think that kind of relates to what you were talking about with putting guys in good places to score. I just think with your note about facilitating the offense with um, Saunders and with Wooster, it's been hard for these guys to get good shots in. And in reflection of that and causation of that, their shooting percentage is decent, but it's definitely not where it should be. I think one that sticks out is definitely uh, Mike Saunders. He's bordering on 30% field goal shoot field goal shooting, which for me, I don't think is satisfactory for what we think we know he can do, especially with the kind of talent that he has on offense, the kind of speed that he possesses, which is kind of um, kind of weird to see. There's kind of three guys that are really stepping up in terms of points per game category. And that's Carlson, Matson, and Anthony. Uh, those guys are averaging in the double digits. Carlson obviously is the star of the show. 
But what's been surprising is Stefanovic. Um, and I guess you could maybe say Raleigh Wooster as well. But Stefanovic is kind of the one that sticks out to me. Last year, what we saw from him as a freshman, I think was really promising, especially when it came to shooting. He had a really good game, I believe it was against UCLA, where it just seemed like things were going his way. But this year, I just think he's been put in situations, and he's also turned the ball over at times to points where I feel like he's not really stepping up to where he can be. And we've seen him getting taken out of the rotation at times, um, not getting not um, being able to play as many minutes as others. I think he's still uh, the fifth. He's averaging the fifth most minutes on the team, so not bad. But I just think there's times where Stefanovic really needs to step up, and he hasn't yet. So I'm really looking forward to how this team will do shooting-wise now that they're going into a few games of Pac-12 play, especially against Arizona. I think that's where they really get tested. And you can see how these guys perform against top-level talent. They've played good teams like Georgia Tech, Mississippi State, but now you're going to play the big dog, number four, Arizona, on Thursday. What can they do on offense? You can limit those turnovers, but I'm interested to see their shot selection because Arizona has some really big and athletic guys. I don't know if you watched the Maui Invitational, but just watching that alone, I was like, shoot, these guys are pretty scary. So I'll be interested to see what they do against the Wildcats. Um, what are you interested or what are you looking for in terms of Thursday's game? Well, I mean, this Arizona team, they're a little bit different than last year. Uh, last year, they had three NBA guys. Matherin, who's playing incredibly um, for the Pacers. Coloco, who's playing for the Raptors. And uh, Jaden Hardy, who's playing for the Mavericks uh, G League team right now. He's averaging like 30-something in the G League. He's playing really good. Um, this year, they don't quite have the NBA guys that they did last year, but they have a lot of quality players. Um, I think first and foremost has been Kirk Kriza. He has been really good, and I think he's going to be somebody that might light up this team on offense. However, he is not a good defender. And so if I'm Utah, I'm trying to take the ball at him. Um, Arizona has a really good center. I can't remember his name right now. He's an absolute seven-foot monster, um, really good rim protector. And I just don't know if Carlson's going to be able to get his buckets around, um, around what's quite honestly just a tower in the middle of the paint. Um, I think Carlson is going to have to probably hit some outside shots if Utah wants to stay in this game. Um, and I think he's going to be a really big factor because he's playing against the exact type of guy that could take him out of this game, a big center seven footer. And he's not skinny seven foot. He's thick seven foot. He's just a monster. I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup for Carlson. Um, I feel like one thing I've been optimistic about with this Utah team lately is that offense kind of has stepped around Carlson. I think beginning of the season, we were really worried about who's going to be the guys that are going to step up. I think having Marco Anthony back and officially back in the starting lineup is really, really big on both sides of the floor, but he's been playing great on offense. Um, like you said, he's averaging 11 points a game. Also just want to give him a shout out. He's only shot one three this season, but he's also made one three. Um, so leading all of college basketball and three point percentage. Good for you, Marco. Um, I think, I don't know. I think he's going to be, have to be a guy that's going to be able to step up. Um, obviously a lot of it's just going to fall onto the guys that are playing with the ball, which I think will be Wooster, Madsen, Stefanovic. Those three are going to have to score um, and score from probably outside because I think this Arizona team is just a monster on the interior. So it's going to be a really good, game to watch um 
hopefully it's a good game to watch. Arizona could just walk away with this one. But um, I was really impressed by how this Utah team was able to handle their ranked opponents last year. It felt like they were competitive for at least the first part of every single game. And so I think they could try and stay competitive as Pac-12 play starts. Yeah, I think these first two games will be a really good indication of where this Utah Utes basketball team may end up at the end of the season. I think the guy you were talking about was Umar Ballo or whatever. I think it was a number 11. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. Okay. He, he's a monster. Uh, like the, I can't from, believe they had him and Coloco last year. Those two, if they ever played together, were just monster rim protectors. I mean, at least from what I can see right here on my stat sheet, seven foot two sixty. That is wild. Yeah, that's insane. That's that's crazy. Um, I won't say I'm expecting a, a close game on Thursday, but I'm looking forward to the competition that the Utes will play. So that'll be an interesting game to look at. But of course, we're going to conclude this episode with the Thatcher Effect draft segment. Richie, you mentioned it's going to be Utah Utes quarterbacks. Um, who's starting this week for the draft? Man, I'm, I'm I can't I can't remember. I think I started last time with the Star Wars, so I think it's you this okay. time. Okay, I'll start this week. Um, it came down to two guys for me uh, in first place, but I think I got to go with the guy that everyone can agree with. With the first pick, I'm going to take Alex Smith. Um, I just think impact for the program. He has to be like number one. He changed Utah's program in terms of where it is today and prominence. You can relate that to Urban Meyer as well, but Alex Smith had to was a key part of that. Um, he completed, you know, sixty six percent of his passes in his career, nine yards per attempt. Finished with over five thousand yards, forty seven touchdowns, and only eight picks. Um, so I'm going to go with Alex Smith, number one overall, just like he was in the NFL draft. Yeah, I was, was going to ask. He was he was number one, right? Were him and Andrew Bogut number one picks at the same time? Yeah, I still I know there's a Utah, little bit of overlap. Yeah, so Utah is actually, I think, the only college in history to have both the number one NFL and number one NBA draft pick in the same year. That's insane. That's, That's pretty insane. wild. And, and both of them on solid careers. Good for them. Yeah, for sure. All right, I think with my pick, I'm taking Tyler Huntley. I think it's, it's not too much of a question. I love his speed. I love... Um, just what he did on offense. He was dynamic. I think the other guy who you'll probably pick next is Brian Johnson. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Tyler Huntley. I think he's my go-to guy with the number two pick. Tyler Huntley was one of my options for number two, but you did already name my other option for number two, and that is Brian Johnson. Um, Again, I think it's another guy that shaped the program. uh, Another BCS buster. I don't think he, obviously he didn't shape out as a good NFL player, but boy, he's shaping out to be a really good coach in football. So I just think I'm going to take him with some great stats. He had four seasons at Utah. He completed 66% like Alex Smith threw for over almost 8,000 yards, 57 touchdowns in 41 games. So I'm going to take the legend himself, Brian Johnson, number two. It's a great pick. Also shout out to Brian Johnson. I don't know if you followed Philly, the Eagles closely this year, but he's been in their quarterback room helping Jalen Hurts, who's having an incredibly se- incredible season. Um, I just he's he's been amazing. Like as a coach in the coaching role, I hope one day he could coach the youth. I see. That's what I've been saying because Whittingham is obviously you know towards the end of his career, and so 
There's been talks, obviously Morgan Scally at one time was offered the, you know, he, it was basically given to him, but now that's taken off the table, but he's still pretty much the favorite. But I'm like, yo, guys, Brian Johnson is killing it right now at the NFL level. But I think it's not going to happen because he's having so much success. He'll probably find an NFL head coaching role within these next five years. Um, yeah, I, I could, could be wrong. Becoming, but... I could see him being an offensive coordinator pretty soon here. Yeah, that's that's got to be, yeah. Anyways, all right, is it, is it my turn or your turn for number three? It's my turn. Um, all right, yeah. for my second pick, I'm taking Scott Mitchell. Uh, this guy has pretty much every school record. He holds 25 school records for the Utes. Um, he threw for 8,981 yards, 69 touchdowns. Um, he played 12 years in the NFL. I think it's pretty hard to beat those numbers when historically you don't have a ton of great quarterbacks. But, yeah, I think he's going to be my number two pick. I like that. That's a good one. Uh, Scott Mitchell is obviously a legend around these parts, and now he's the he's the color commentator for radio. So, I mean, he's a Utah guy all around. Great pick. Solid pick. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, former Chargers head coach, uh, Mike McCoy, uh, the number three slot. Um, I think he – again, I think people who were Utah fans during his era seem to always talk about him. Um, he had a pretty solid record. I think he ended up 17 and eight, two seasons. Um, um, and then as the, uh, starter in his third season or at the start, as a starter in his third season, his final record was 18 and nine. So he had a great, he had a great three years at Utah. Um, so I'm going to take him as my number three pick. I love it. That's a good pick. Um, my number three pick, I'm taking Cam Rising. I think when you look at the historical highs of this program, it's been the Fiesta Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, and the Pac-12 Championship, and the Rose Bowl appearance. And Cam Rising was the guy that led them to that. So I think that's a pretty obvious pick for the number three. Yeah, I think Cam Rising will always be remembered for what he did last year for the Utes, and maybe what he does this year. We'll see on Friday. I'm going to go maybe with a hot take at number three. I'm going to go with the baby – or sorry, number four. I'm going to go with the baby draft, Travis Wilson. <laughs> Um, he was a starter for four years for Utah and albeit it was kind of a struggling time. He still ended up with a pretty good record, 24 and 15, but he also had some, I mean, obviously he threw for over 7,000 yards. I mean, when you're a starter for four years, uh, 54 touchdowns did have 37 picks, but the baby draft, that guy six, seven, and he knew how to run. And I think some of my fondest Utah football memories have to be with him running the football. Um, so I'm going to take him at the four. I love it. That's a great pick. Um, let's see, man. That's the thing about Utah quarterbacks is they're just like the history isn't that rich, you know. They're, it's they're, not like BYU some, where you can some choose. Favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like BYU where you can choose the Hall of Famers in the NFL all across the like board. We're, like where Steve Sarkeesian is like number 10 or something. Like, cause you have like Ty Debber, <laughs> Steve Young. Yeah. Um, I will say though, I, I have liked a couple quarterbacks and one of them that I did like was Jordan Wynn. Jordan Wynn was the first quarterback in the PAC 12 era. Um, and I mean, that was a pretty rough transition. Uh, but you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy for the guy. I thought he took us into a good era, helped us win some games, um, and he was the guy for a couple of years. So I'm taking Jordan Wynn. Yeah, Jordan Wynn was a fantastic quarterback. I think now he does some 
podcasting and some radio stuff. Great guy. Great memories. Um, I think I'm just going to take mine just based off of uh, familiarity. I'm going to go with Frank Dolce, uh, the former color commentator for the Utes. Um, I think he was a man. I think he was a quarterback way back in the day. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. From what I see, he had an average record 13 and 11 over two seasons, uh, but he had 57.4% completion, um, almost 5,000 yards um, in those two years. Um, so I'm going to go with Frank Dolce at the number five. So not too bad. I don't know if any of our listeners besides maybe the older ones will understand some of our picks, but not too bad. That was actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not bad at all. I think I still have one more pick. Um, oh, that's right. You do have one more. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I don't think my team's winning, but <laughs> I do. I do. I will say I need somebody to just kind of make the big plays, you know, somebody that can just step in last minute throw a Hail Mary for a touchdown in the Rose Bowl or something. I'm taking Bryson Barnes with my fifth. Pick. I love it. I love it. I mean, you know, stats don't lie. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. He's one of the best to ever do it, according to the stats. I mean, I think he threw for 100% in a Rose Bowl with a touchdown against Ohio State. That seems like some pretty good, a pretty good resume to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, Rich, any final parting thoughts for us as we end this week's episode? Um, championship week. It should be should be a fun one. Everybody watch the game. I'll uh I'll be at a jazz game watching the Pac-12 championship on my phone. So should be Ooh. an interesting series of events. I hope they're playing it on the screen during timeouts. Yeah, I, I heard that last year when Utah was playing in the Rose Bowl, they played that one on the Jumbotron at the Jazz game. So maybe you guys get the same treatment this time around. I'm praying for it. Okay. Well, Rich will be on his phone. I'll be there in Vegas. Actually bought tickets on the USC side. So maybe I'll have some fun stories uh, come, uh, <laughs> come next week. But thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next episode. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also hear more about our episodes and contribute to weekly content by following us on Instagram at Thatcher Effect Podcast and on Twitter at RichieOsler3 and at NateThatcher15. We'd like to thank James Burchett for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you guys next week.